faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. This is the final minute, and I'm Jeff Ferry from Jay and Silent Bob Minute. And I'm Chris Derkach, also from Jay and Silent Bob Minute. And I'm Jim O'Kane, the executive producer of the Best Minutes Podcast. Yes, we thought it was in our best interest financially to have the executive producer on for the last episode. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know. Get those checks out to you right away. Exactly. Uh, well, well done. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks. I, I do appreciate you and everybody that's worked on this project. It's really been, um, I know, a labor of love for most. and <laughs> just kind of a labor for others. But uh, this, is, this has been a really great uh, experience that, seeing all these people bringing their A games to this show. And uh, we've talked about the movie. Some uh, again, it's it, this format that I've picked out, where everybody does ten episodes. Uh, it, there is some redundancy, but it's nice hearing that a lot of people have the same feelings about this movie. Either they've they they watched it in the past and loved it, or they've never heard of it before. But when they watched it, they were surprised at how much they enjoyed the movie. And after we run through all the actual footage we have left, all you know, five seconds of it, uh, I'll try to bring up some of the stuff I've heard. I'm, I'm almost current with the show that's currently running. So, like, we waited a while to do ours so I could hear some of the other hosts. I was trying to see what would get brought up again and again and again to see what things we could try to, you know, weigh in on at the end here. But first, let's get through the quote-unquote minute. It starts with, basically, it starts with Happily Ever After, and then it ends with black screen. I mean, there's <laughs> there's just not much to unpack here. Uh, it's the final of our three stories, and it's it's Peggy just looking, as I told Chris in the green room, just looking drop dead gorgeous here at the end yeah yeah that big rim light on her hair and just the hat falling off it just that I perfect mean, the perfect part in dana andrew's hair oh, just <laughs> it's just every actress in hollywood was like please light me like this right. yeah like how old is she at this time i know it's been discussed before she's 32 ish no 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 she's uh god i can't remember because there's been so many fights about everybody's ages because she's not that old i'm thinking of him not her but this is the one of the few times in the movie she could legitimately pass for the age she's trying to be. <laughs> yeah, she's got a four-year-old at the time. Yeah. Like, if you told me, if this was the only scene I saw, you were like, oh, she's supposed to pass for 20 in this movie. I'd be like, she can't, she is. <laughs> like, in this scene. Other times yeah. you're like, well, this is a mid-20-year-old woman. <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you trying to do? Like, I understand how movies work, but come on now. <laughs> Killing me here. Yeah, and you definitely but, uh, you definitely buy that she's happy. I mean that 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 smile doesn't look like she's acting happy. She looks truly happy. Her eyes, the eyebrows, the the, the mouth it's just all. Yes, she's really selling it the right way. And it's just perfect with the kiss where the hat pops off. Yeah, and the yeah, big iris out. And the mu- yeah, he got his hair with the part with the you know plenty of uh, brill cream in there to keep it where it needs to be. I was waiting to hear what you were going to say. Brill cream. I guess it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing you put in there is motor oil. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just assumed they wouldn't have any because of the war. <laughs> yeah, Vitalis, maybe some vegetable-based <laughs> product. Um, I don't want fop. I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, he, the... he, he could walk right into a propeller and the hair would not move. That would, you know, <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah, he's standing just right in front of it. This is right yeah. behind him. <laughs> thum, 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 and he's like, nothing. Nothing moving. <laughs> He's got that Jimmy Johnson hair. Nothing moving. And then we get we get a literal the end. Yeah. And then Chris and I were speaking about this earlier. The credits, as they are, start to roll. First of all, instead of just saying cast, it says the cast, which I find endearing for some reason. <laughs> like, this is the cast. 
Yeah, and, and, and the alternate spelling of Millie. Uh, I mean, I've my, my mom's name was Millie, and I've known uh, I had uh, one of my friends had a had a daughter named Millie, and it it's I E. <laughs> it's not how you spell Millie. Yeah, I've never seen like I had. I've known one Millie in my entire life, and the same thing as I E. That seems a little different. Yeah, they, it's in the odd spelling. It doesn't. It doesn't make much sense, honestly. I've it's like whoever did it was just life. like, I guess it's spelled like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, spellings I have. I mean, well, naming somebody Hortense is just kind of odd, but that's a, a name from <laughs> yeah. the past. Although it's probably coming back. You know, people named Homer and people named Hortense. Who knows? You'll you'll see those words again. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think some of them might not be coming back. Homer, I could buy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about Hortense. That's that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a family name that you you know. It's like, why did you name me Hortense? Well, your aunt Hortense was you know around. And she was dying. <laughs> yeah. We had a neighbor's so. <laughs> It's like yeah, we had we had five kids. Yeah, the other four were uh, named after somebody else. So it's an old uh, Jim Gaffigan joke about that. About saying he had <laughs> they had so many kids. Like the first kid is like, well, you're named after my brother, and it's like the tenth kid. You're like, you're named after a sandwich I had once. <laughs> now go get your brother, Reuben. <laughs> <laughs> so the credits roll besides the background which appears appears to be running on a pair of denim pants does, does anybody have anything to mention specifically about the uh the credits yeah nice font i like the you know the, that whole uh times new roman style um interesting that they go for they go for the mixed font for the character names and uh all caps for the actor names yeah yes um, also very interesting is it, it like I was watching the credits and they're only forty five seconds I would say, so like it runs the cast and the cast is going and it just ends, like there's no there's no crew because I mean I know the they ran a bunch at the beginning yeah. but yeah but yeah that was, was all up front. I told Chris I go this was back in the days where like your department head might get a credit but you weren't. Yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah yeah. Now, yeah. Nowadays yeah, you get the tra- lighting got the credit. Uh, the yeah. other fifteen people who carried lights around they didn't get squat. Yeah, I mean, today no. they're putting in the babies that were born during the, oh during the production, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially for movies that have a three-year animation movie. There's, like, 30 of them. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Sometimes there's three lines going down at the same time of credits. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you, yeah. you get the uh, the floor-cleaning crew at the third um, special effects uh, house that they <laughs> did stuff at. <laughs> where it's like, if you've watched any of the movies where they uh, they did, like, a Kickstarter or something like that. Oh, they yeah. Run, they run all the Kickstarter names. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no. I don't know why. I probably who could have done without all, all those people. Who watches all them credits? The guy who's in the movie wants to see his name on there? Listen, is that who watches all those yeah, credits? Yeah, if you give, you're going to watch until your credit comes up. Yeah, you're right. Well, and then you have, like, you know, the Marvel movies and other movies now are doing it, too, where they run a mid-credits or an end-credits sequence. The problem yeah. is you can be slick these days and just be like, well, I'll look it up ahead of time and see if there is one. <laughs> right, or I'll Google it when I leave and play it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what would you put as an end credit sequence for this? If you're, I think I'd have Marie show up with a gun. <laughs> He's mine, lady. <laughs> if you were going to do a sequel with one, one of the three groups, which one would you go with as a sequel? Which which storyline would you follow for the sequel, or what oh, would you okay. want to see the most? I mean, the problem is, if you want, huh, I don't know. It depends on what kind of show do you want. That, I, I hate to say it, not Homer. <laughs> because his is going to be I hate to say his is going to be boring yeah, I mean is, he'll probably have a great life but like he's got it pretty good he's nice and she's nice and I, I don't want anything bad to happen to them that would necessita- necessitate me watching them <laughs> um, if you want to watch a love story then it's the Peggy show with that, those two with her and Dana Andrews but 
I kind of li- would like the sitcom about Al's family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm in with that, too. <laughs> yeah, but but Rob, um, Rob would have to I do, have... like, uh, the older Cunningham brother on Happy Days and just kind of disappear because Rob disappears and you never see him again, so... <laughs> or you make it like a part of the show where like he never has any speaking lines, but like he'll, like every episode he just walks yeah. by at some point, but like nobody ever actually yeah, interacts e- with eating him. Eating a sandwich all the time. Oh, gotta go to school. See you later. <laughs> and just out the door. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. What I said was, if you you make this today, it wouldn't be a movie anymore. It would be an eight episode show on a, sc- a streaming yeah. network. Yeah. And I oh, and then you could spread the whole thing out. Here's what they would do: they would spread it out. You would have almost entire episodes about characters, and you would also see stuff that happened back in the war. Yeah, yeah. Because there's zero chance they're going to be like, listen, we're not going to have eight episodes and not have stuff blow up. Yeah. Oh, we're showing the war. Yeah. Oh, we're definitely showing the war. Yeah. Like, we're going to see Al walking through the remains of Hiroshima. We're going to see... The, Kadao, uh, yeah, we'll see him, him, him bombing over Bren. Yeah, we'll like, see, we'll yeah, see, we'll see Godorsky getting, getting his, you know, in the B seventeen and what made what, yeah. and and it'll be very graphic. You know, you'd see like his head blown off, but you won't see it right away. It'll be like that'll be like six, seven yeah. episodes in. Yeah, like you'll hear him help nightmares before that, but you won't actually see it. Yeah, until and Homer later. will be having weird dream sequences where he's like back on the field and, and throwing a football, but he doesn't have any hands to grab it with, and just, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Those like real like, and then he'll lift up his hands and not there. He'll wake up screaming. Oh yeah, yeah. that'll be great. Uh, but I think it definitely works. But here's the thing: you don't even need to make it a period piece. Like you can make it a period piece and still do World War II. Like there's nothing from stopping you to moving this up to today. You just got to change some of the things that happen yeah. in it. The only thing that needs to be the same is they all had trauma during the war. They all kind of were from the same town. That's it. Right. I mean, you could still make it. You could make it today. You can make it. You know, twenty twenty one, two, three, or you could make it like. 2003 or 4 like the early years of the Afghan and Iraq yeah. wars like that might be a good time period where people are it happened a little while ago but people are still familiar with it yeah and then you can go into like Al makes a mistake with you know giving out the wrong loans and then he's investigated by the SEC or something and he's going to lose his banking license and there's a, there's a bunch of there's a whole bunch of stories you can tell with this um, yeah uh, who owns the right to this get me Mankiewicz on the line I don't care which one <laughs> <laughs> Get me a Mankiewicz. Wow, how many? Yeah, I mean, y- you think this this went three hours or just ten minutes shy of three hours, and just being able to to plug in the amount. There's so the characters in this are so strong. It's ama- it, You know, a lot of times you watch a show and it's just they're they're paper thin, but these characters are pretty deep. Except for except for Maria. I always now I I am a Marie apologist. I think she got a raw deal on this. She wasn't. She's she's played off as the bad guy. Interesting. We step into this. I will say, of the minutes I've listened to, and I've listened to many of the teams already go through this, this is definitely one of the most contentious points, is, is she the bad guy? Is she, to what level is she, you know, at fault for what happens? Is he a bad guy for what happens when he gets back? So that's one of the things that's been brought up multiple times. So where do we, and you just said where you were, is that, where does everybody else fall on this? Is she... You know, on a scale of ten, one to ten, one being she is totally innocent, ten to ten where she is just like a harlot while he's gone. Yeah, and and you know, and the same thing can be said about Peggy. Is Peggy the good guy or the bad guy? Do you feel good about where she's wound up? Should she break up that? You know, like she said, I'm going to break that marriage up. So yeah, but I mean, all right, we'll start. We'll try to start with Maria because we got a lot yeah. to unpack with this. <laughs> I would say, upon my viewing of it. Is she 100% at fault for what happens? Absolutely not. What, what, 
causes their marriage to fall apart is getting married after knowing each other yeah. for two weeks. Right. That's at the end of the day. However, <laughs> I was like, when he returns, she shows him no sympathy at all for what he's gone through. I understand she doesn't know, but um, so I'm still kind of at that point. I'm like on the fence with her. I'm like, okay, she just doesn't get it. You know, all right, I could see you not getting it. He shows up at the house and she's going, quote unquote, dancing with another guy. Um, no. Right. That's a hard pass. That makes me think that you were dancing with many men while I wasn't here. I, I'm, there might have been a lot of dancing. Yeah, but that, but that's like yeah. not that that's like not the day she comes home. I think she gave him every chance. She was like, let's be like we were when we first. I mean, she was she had unrealistic expectations of of where where he was going to be. She thought I'm making five hundred dollars a month. He's you know he's an officer and a gentleman. He's like much like that movie, the officer, uh, an officer and a gentleman. She thought she was going to be on Easy Street, and it turns out he's a soda jerk. He has no background. He is the he gives the worst job interviews ever made. I mean, he's he's basically he tells the the guy in the uh, in the upstairs office at uh, Bullard's uh, drugstore how much he doesn't want the want the job and how he doesn't know anything about management and he's really got no skills, but he's going to go out and do something besides being a soda jerk all his life. It's like he, Fred is such a he he has I think the the uh, the psychological term is he has a self defeating personality. He's gonna he's very much a he does he does the worst he makes the worst possible decisions at any given moment. Yeah, he's he's his own worst enemy by yeah. far. Yeah. But I think she's more at fault than him. But again, the the fault is he got married in two weeks. That that's the fault of the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this is not gonna work. Um, is Peggy to blame? I am of the opinion you can't break up a marriage that's not breakupable. Like, yeah, you can put yourself out there like, hey, I'm going to get involved here. But if if he had no interest, he could just shut it down. You just say, I'm not interested. Go away. Yeah, she, and that's not what he does. Yeah, but she did call. She did call Marie. I mean, he was like, goodbye, Peggy. And then she's like, I think yeah. I'm going to call Marie. And uh, oh, when they have their, uh, their yeah, little, the double, little date. double date with uh, Woody. Yeah. That's a little something we like to call laying groundwork. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, that's where you're just like letting the someone know, like I'm interested, I'm available. Now, if the other person chooses to do nothing about it, then nothing ever happens, unless you're a complete psychopath, which I don't think she was. I don't think she like, I don't think if he keeps saying no that like we proceed to the next thing where she's like single white female in it or like, you know, fatal attraction showing up at his house. I don't think she's quite that far. See the way I'd write this in the uh, in the sequel, Woody. Would wind up marrying Marie, and they're still Woody's still in the same uh, social circle as uh, Peggy. So oh, they're still gonna bump into each other. She'd be bumping into Fred's ex all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. Yeah, that's not good. They'd be having dinner parties at Al's house, and Al would think that uh, Marie is charming and stuff like. Oh my gosh, yeah. (sighs) And that's the problem. I don't think Marie was. She's not a bad person. But she strikes me as a person that's – she's just – she wants to live the lifestyle. She wants to go out. She wants to party. wants to do stuff like that. I don't think he – I understand everybody said the war changed him. I don't really think he was much of a partier before. I think it was, hey, I'm getting shipped out in three weeks. This really beautiful girl is you know, down to hang out with me and get married. We're going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Fred, well, but Fred, I don't know about Fred's uh, fidelity to Marie. I mean if, if you think about him being drunk and waking up in uh, Peggy's bedroom and – she says, who are you? And she says, I'm Peggy. And he just like wraps his arms around and he goes, oh, Peggy. And she's like, I'm not that Peggy. So he, he seems to have known quite a few Peggy's uh, possibly in his, you know, he got married 
in the service. So this was his. This this has been his regular okay. life for the past three years. Another scale of one to ten. One to ten, chances they were faithful Duh. during this. Right. Um, let's go, Marie first. One being no, ten being absolutely virtuous. She's a vestal virgin. I think she had to deal with wolves like Cliff, but I think she thought, well, he's coming home, so maybe I think she has a good chance of being uh, faithful. But then all bets were off when he turned out to be, um, a, he flopped, as she said. He, he, was, he was a flop in life, and so... Yeah. True. She didn't really start to hate his guts till she realized that he wasn't going to do what she wanted him to do. Yeah. So uh, maybe she was, I'll give her like a five. What do you think, Jeff? I think I've been in the Air Force 24 years. I give her a one. <laughs> really? <laughs> and he, he's getting about a three. Yeah. Um, only because he's kind of a little too, like, between, like, him and Al. I knew both guys like this in my life. He's a little more, like, wishy-washy. I knew guys like Al, too, that were, like, guys that had been married a long time, and they could go overseas, and there could be all kinds of temptations, and they were like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to be back there reading a book. Like, they just didn't care. Like, there was guys that could do that. They just went over there, and they're like, I'm away. My wife's not here. Like, I'll wait till I get home. I love my wife. Like, those people exist. <laughs> and, like, I will say most of the married guys I saw were like that. But they also didn't weren't going to be around for, you know, they knew they were going home in six months. <laughs> they didn't. It was going to be, like, five years <laughs> when they went home. <laughs> like, you know, that's an even uh, larger thing to bear. On that same kind of thought, another thing that's been brought up by a couple multiple groups is... When Al's drunk at the bar the first time, uh, when he goes out and they're hanging at uh, at Butch's place, and they're dancing, and he sa- what does he say to his wife about? Oh, uh, something about like not not your. Oh, you know, in many ways, in many ways, you remind me of my wife. And but I, yeah. I think the, the impression that I got from from that was he he knew he was kidding around with Millie. Yeah. Okay. So you're where I'm at on That's that. Right, A lot of people took joke. that as he didn't recognize her. Just <laughs> thought he was dancing with some pretty girl and was like, "I'm gonna take this pretty girl home and sleep with her." And I always took it as him joking around, just like yeah. I might with my wife, yeah. just being like, "You know, you're out somewhere like fancy and dressed up, but like, you look a lot like my wife." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, or you know, your wife's at a bar like waiting for you or something. And you walk up and you know you pretend like you're hitting on her. Yeah, are yeah. You playing these He's games, like, what are you Jeff? doing here all alone? You know, we've all played this yeah, game. And, <laughs> and, and, and Myrna, Myrna Loy is playing it like she did in the Thin Man. You know, like when um, in the original yes. Thin Man, William Powell has this girl faint in his arms and she's wearing like a negligee, and and uh, Myrna Loy walks in. Nora Nora Charles walks in and sees that, and he does he. He looks at her and kind of shrugs his shoulders, and then she sticks sticks her tongue out at him, and it's like, "Yeah, I know you're not cheating on me, but look at why do you have a blonde in your arms? Why are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, and I, I would have never ever thought he was cheating on her at any point, especially not right there. But like, I, I, I'm gonna say at least two or three groups brought yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was wondering, and I didn't check. I don't know if it could be a, a function of age. If you're not, you know, if you're not married, yeah. or if you're young, and you, you haven't experienced being an old married couple, and it's like, yeah, we go through all this stuff all the time, and it's like, yeah. yeah. Speaking of old married men, Al Stevenson is he an alcoholic? Yeah, I would. I think we decided already. No, really. Yeah, yeah. I said no. Well, I would say no with the caveat of we don't have enough information. I, I wonder <laughs> if he has social anxiety. That's that. That might explain. Yeah. You know, when she's like carving. Uh, six uh, six t- lines in the uh, in the tablecloth with her fork as she's watching how many yeah. how many uh, Randy Alexanders he's dunking. Um, yeah. So I would say 
show up six months after these events and let me know what's going on. Yeah, I kind of agree because with you, that's Jeff, when you're going to know. In a previous minute, where uh, like he's just got home from war, let him get drunk if he wants, you know. And, and not like from oh, he just got home from war. He got home from the Pacific Theater. He said he was physically on the island of yeah. Japan. He, he saw so Hiroshima. He was in he was the action. In Hiroshima, yeah. you know, and he saw. Yeah. yeah. He was talking about pulling uh, swords off of dead soldiers and things. So he's really in the yeah. thick of things. I mean, he could he, possibly be an alcoholic, but he's got a reason, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and he and he may become an alcoholic, but you're not. I'm not. So you're never really led to believe that he was like this before. And. If I've been fighting the Japanese for four years and I came home and I'm getting drunk every night, yeah. I, I think you you buy about a month of that, and then you're like, okay, um, let's let's work. Like if it was these days, you'd let them come home. They would act like that for a little while, and you'd be like, all right, we're going. We're gonna go talk to somebody about this because obviously, you know, getting hammered a few nights is not getting this situation resolved. Right. Yeah. What well, what was the- so I said no. I said no to alcoholism, um, but. My man's got a heavy case of PTSD. He is not dealing what with. What was it. the VA doing at the time with that? Were, were they handling that kind of stuff? I don't know. I, I don't know where, where they well, were. I mean, but the, the problem was, it, it, I think they handled it. Just everything had different yeah. terminology. They would say you had nervous exhaustion yeah, shell and shock. all kinds of stuff. If you look at um, towards the end of like the last six months of the Pacific Theater, they were losing. There was way more injuries to mental problems than there was to physical injuries. Oh well. They were losing thousands of guys. Like no, none of the powers want to talk about it, but like that's where they were losing a lot of their yeah. soldiers. Well, yeah, and the, and the stuff they were experiencing. I mean, on Okinawa, they were they were fighting with bayonets. There was like hand to hand combat for weeks, and the idea yeah. of constantly having this, you know, the up close death all the time. Imagine what that does. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, I mean, they were killing civilians because the civilians wouldn't surrender, yeah. or the soldiers would use them as human shields and all kinds of stuff. And it ended up being. The, I mean, it's not in every case, but the Pacific Theater at one point basically became almost no quarter given by yeah. either side of just like, listen, every time we try to take a prisoner, he's got a grenade, he tries to kill us, so we're just going to shoot everybody. And the most of the prisoners they ended up taking were people who were forced into it, like people that were Korean or like they were from Taiwan or they were ever, they were, they were impressed by the yeah. Japanese. But yeah, it was not great. It is like... The Pacific Theater is right up there with the Eastern Front of like list of places you never want to be. <laughs> yeah, and and the idea that they were making this movie inside of a year of when all that was going on. You know, there were people fresh from the I, battlefield, and they're saying, "Hey, we're going to make a movie now." <laughs> yeah, and I guess the only thing in our recent history that I think you could really put this to is it would be putting a nine eleven movie out a yeah. year later. And not one that just tangentially had something to do with it. I mean, like, it would be – it's about three survivors from that day. It's, you know, someone that was in the buildings, someone that, you know, maybe missed the plane, and somebody at the yeah. Pentagon. And, like, those are the three people you're following. That's some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Like, the next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, United 93 wasn't made until 2006. And even that, people were like, ooh. Yeah. I think that's a little early. When was World Trade Center made? That was 2008-ish, maybe? Was I feel like it was after uh, that. Because I thought 93 was the first one. Let's see. Uh, Does this fire up the, yeah, the two, Google Yeah, 2006, machine same year. Oliver Stone did. Same yeah, year, so, all right. Yeah, they had a five-year cool down there <coughs> to get over that, so. Yeah, it was just like, all right, I guess it's been enough time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it just, yeah, it's but, just so raw and so immediate. And, uh, I mean, we're watching them dismantling 
the the ships that you know the, the, when they have that air, the aircraft uh, graveyard, those things were fresh off the line. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just astonishing thinking, and a lot of the people that were in this movie, well, especially you know people like Harold Russell, they were they had been there. They had this this had happened to them. Real bad things had happened to them on there. So um, just. It, it, every, and every every group that we've had on the show, uh, every ho- every host group, talked about how amazing this doesn't feel like a 1946 film. This wouldn't be something oh, that you'd absolutely. see. There's just, and that has to do with almost everything in it, from the writing to the directing to how it's shot. It is shot like a modern film. Yeah, because that, that's the giveaway for a lot of the old stuff is the how it's shot. Anything pre like the 50s, sometimes it just has that you know weird look to it it's like watching an old sitcom sometimes where you're like ooh, like this is even <laughs> tough to watch because yeah. it's so strangely shot and lit not this i mean i'm pretty the cinematographer you know the guy was yeah, good i think I so say. yeah craig tolan okay. <laughs> um, the, but the you know and and like things like holding off on revealing uh harold russell's actual disability until that that scene where he take you know he takes off his his arms and you know, if the audience hasn't realized it yet that they're they're looking at him, gosh, this guy really is missing his hands. Yeah, and oh, yeah. Uh, that was you know so raw for for a movie like that. And I think people even nowadays, people who see this movie not expecting that from a 1946 uh, audio, you know, for a 1946 film, it's shocking. It still is shocking to this moment that you see this and go. I may have. I may have already mentioned this, but I thought, how are they doing that? Like, I didn't realize that he really was, you know, he really didn't have hands. No. Like, I thought especially, just in my mind from watching so much new stuff, you think it's, it's you know, CGI or something right away. Yeah, yeah, this isn't Lieutenant Dan. This is, yeah, this is right, right. really this is the real guy. stuff here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that the thing that makes me, it makes it feel modern to me is you have three people coming back from the war, and none of them are like, super proud of what they did like they're proud that they went but they're not like walking around they're nobody's peacocking yeah. around yeah they're like yeah it's a thing i did I- i'm back now like even when he-, he doesn't want to put his dress uniform on to go out with her some of that is i don't want to wear my-, my uniform some of it is like i want to forget everything that happened yeah like i've heard i'm sure we've all heard this story of like yeah uh my grandfather or great-grandfather went over and fought in the war he came home he hung his uniform in the attic and he never ever spoke about it again which is not healthy, but like that's how they did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, that's a thing I did that I never want to think about or talk about ever again. Yeah, my 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 <laughs> uncle, my uncle Al, um, he went he went to war. He was in um, he was in the hundred uh, first and got captured during the Battle of the Bulge, and he was marched across uh, the Netherlands and into East Germany, and uh, didn't get out until. I think the end of June, they were trying to, when he, when he was uh, released from the prison camp, he uh, weighed uh, 80 pounds. And uh, when he, when he came home from the war, uh, he got, he got off the train and went to, went to his, you know, his house and he, he rang the doorbell and his mom opened the door. She screamed and shut the door on him. She was terrified of how (laughs) he looked. So my dad, who lived around the corner, um, uh, they uh he 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 went over he went over to see my dad my dad went back with him to uh to uh the fellow's mom's house and uh he talked her back into you know <laughs> talked her into it's okay he's he's alive he's okay and this is how you know and he, he but yeah he didn't he never talked about it until 
uh, gosh, very late in life. He was in his 80s. My son asked him, I understand you were at the Battle of the Bulge. And then he, he kind of told everything to my son. Uh, in his, but in his 80s, he really didn't bring it up uh, in conversation. My dad would talk about it and would tell me, don't ask Uncle Al about stuff. It's, uh, it's right. a kind of a touchy subject. But, you know, I mean, this is, it was part of his life. But then, but, but that, he wasn't alone in that. A lot of them just, you know, put it in a footlocker and pushed it out of their lives because they didn't want to be right. part of it anymore. Well, we had uh, the one grandfather on my side. He had been, he'd been in and out of different units because he was like in something in like medical. So he would get attached to this unit and that unit. And he was there when they liberated one of the concentration oh. camps. And he would tell us about all this other stuff that happened. And then I asked him one time, like, well, you know, something about that. And he's like, uh, no, that one goes to my grave. Yeah. He was just like, that was it. That, that was his line. He would talk about all this other stuff. He's like, nope, I will never talk about what I saw, what it looked like. What happened while we were there? Nope. Like, that one's just for me. You know, I'm going to eat that one. And I was just like, I get it. He's like, look, whatever happened or he saw was so awful. Like, even having to repeat it was something he wasn't willing to do. And then my wife's grandfather, he was at the Battle of the Bulge, too. He was wounded. Uh, he had a mortar go off near him. So it screwed up his ears and it, like, he, it went into his legs. So he had to be pulled back from the front. And then he was given the choice of like, well, you're hurt pretty bad. Um, we can let you heal up. And then we can send you back to the front lines or we can evacuate you back to England and you can help out with the, you know, the Army Air Corps. And he was like, England, here I come. <laughs> because, like, what kind of yeah. choice is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, he told me that. And I'm just like, your grandfather's a smart man. Yeah. I was like, listen, listen, I've been fighting on the front and, you know, with the Battle of the Bolts. I've done my bit for king and country. Thank you. Yeah. I will gladly be evacuated out. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my dad was in the Ninth Air Force. He was... Um, uh, during World War II, he was a um, uh, a sergeant. He became a, he became a sergeant, and he wound up getting back to his base. Uh, he was at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and um, uh, they were getting ready to go over to England. And he got back ten minutes late from a from a weekend pass. And uh, his top sergeant uh, said, "You were AWOL, and I'm docking you. You're I'm busting you down a corporal." And I'm moving you out of our unit, and you're going over to Ninth uh, Air Force. You're going to be in the fire brigade. And uh, that the unit that he was in uh, was on the beach at uh, Omaha Beach, and they had the entirety of them got wiped out, including the guy that busted him down a down a corporal. And he said that guy didn't know that he saved my life. He did, and my my dad had no qualms about it. He goes, "Well, the guy saved my life. He sent me to the." To the Air Corps, I worked in the you know, I worked in the fire department at the uh, at the Army Air Corps, but I didn't die on the beach. And uh, right. you know, he he said it wasn't a matter of being heroic or unheroic. You were going if you were going there, you had a you know you were going to die if you didn't you know. It, it was just it, he said the randomness of it uh, always struck him. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, fun fact: I was also in the night. Really? Air Force. Oh, okay. Well, he was in the yes. When I was on active duty, I was on the night. Oh, okay. Night he was in the three eighty six. Squadron, and it was in uh, Great Dunmo, England. He was, he the, the thing that he didn't like talking about was um, a lot of the, the these were like A twenty sixes that were coming back, and uh, the B twenty six Marauders, and uh, he said they got shot up a lot more than the B seventeens would make it back to London and stuff. But the uh, and they were flying fortresses. They they were really good in the air, but there were a lot more of these B twenty sixes, and uh, he said they'd get shot up, and they'd have a lot of a lot of the crew would be um, 
either dying or on fire. He said they had a lot of fires and things. So he wow. he had a he he was supposed like when the plane landed or crashed or whatever it is, he and the whole crew had to go out and pull everybody out of the thing. And some of them were alive and some of them weren't. And he said that that it, it was really hard for him to be around things like um like barbecues and stuff because he didn't like the smell of smoke. Um, it's uh like the 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 stuff that you spray on the charcoal starter, you know that that like that you have a tin can, you spray the the squeeze bottle. He didn't like that smell because it smelled like burning uh, uh, aircraft flu- fuel. Yeah, this is the part they leave out in the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're like everybody's either a heroic or b takes the bullet that takes him out quick, unless they're that one guy who gets the long death sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was he was talking about like like he said the people that talk the most about it are the ones that aren't they're not they're not heroes they want to tell you all about it they didn't really experience the stuff see the people that experience stuff they don't really want to go into it anymore they had a rough go he said it's not it's not about being a hero he said it's about this is the job that you have to do you have to do this and people are relying on you and whether that's being a hero or not you got to do that because if you don't do it there's nobody else to do it and well most people i've ever talked to world war ii vietnam even guys i served with it was just like it was a lot less about being a hero and a lot more about not yeah, getting killed. Yeah, the big thing about yeah, I don't <laughs> I wanna, believe that. Yeah, um, but it's just you know, it, it, and it, and this is true for every war. I mean, it's just that's the way it is. When you see somebody that likes pulling out their, you know, here's here's the medal I got for this and that. He said it's these are mostly rear echelon types that are just you know, let me show you what I did, and that's that's not that's not the kind of guys you want to be around. You want to be around guys that are like you said, saving their lives and whoever around them keep everybody else alive so that you're not you know. You're not next to go. So, um. all right, all right. I'm going to ask the question: Does anybody have anything else for this minute or this movie? I think I've brought up the few things that have been mentioned a few times that I, I think I've caught all the ones that were have been brought up. Has anybody else caught anything else that they notice has been brought up more than once? Well, we, you know, I, I, the one thing that I've noticed that everybody's brought up is that even though I, I think the for the people who haven't seen the movie. Uh, and this is the 75th anniversary of the making of this movie. The amazing thing is, is that it still speaks to you. These people from 75 years ago, they have lives just, just like your life. You know, you, I mean, maybe, maybe you're not trying to decide between your hot blonde wife and the hot brunette girlfriend, but it's, um, but you know, these are the kind of issues that people have coming back from the war and trying, or, you know, if you've been through a, a an experience of such intense, action, life and death situations, trying to fit yourself back into the world that you left behind when the world that you left behind isn't there anymore. This is a whole different world that they're all coming back to, that it speaks to you, not only the world in 1946, but the world of the 2020s. I mean, this is just, you know, we're coming out of a plague and trying to fit your life back into what you missed in the past year. Uh, It's not as great a, a change, but trying to get used to, okay, this is the new way of the world. This is how we're this is how we're going to be fitting together and living together and talking to each other. Um, I think it speaks to us now as much as it did back to the audiences when, when the war ended. I mean, just imagine you – I mean, forget all the war or all that, all the other stuff's going on. Just imagine you went away for four years and then came yeah, back. Yeah, you, you could have gone to jail or something. Yeah. 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 Just just – but like the only – and there's no internet and all that stuff. The only thing you're going to get is some letters, maybe if they show up. <laughs> like that's – so that that's it, and then you come home. So how much you know? It, let's say it's twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Like, what was it like four years ago? Right. Like, how much changed since then? How much has your family changed since then? A lot. You you leave and your um your daughter is thirteen. And you come back and she's seventeen, eighteen. Right, she's a woman now. 
It's yeah. Like, think, oh, I'll give you a perfect example. Scary. <laughs> if for think of Avengers. Yeah. yeah the last yeah. one. They blip everybody for five years. Yeah. Boom! You come back five years later. Oh, well, nothing bad happened either in that time frame. But five years went by for everybody else. Yeah. Who is this person answering my door? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that's. I think that's what makes a great movie is that it, it's timeless. You don't get the attitude haven't changed. The basic attitudes, the basic emotions that you're seeing here, nothing's changed. This is the same way people deal with each other, and yeah. the and you find you find your best. Um, you find your best self in, in other people and friends that you make. And I think this, it really speaks of the veteran experience. I think that you can, you can see how these three guys who met each other in the belly of a plane, uh, they, they've been in these kinds of relationships before and they know that they, they should be each other's best friends simply because they've shared a common experience and they can help each other out even in civilian life. Um, I just, I'm, I'm glad, I'm really glad that so many people participated in this, in doing this project just just to get this film out a little bit more and that's all it right. <laughs> any, that's it all right chris why don't you plug our stuff and we'll let jim go last because i think that's the yeah, think, way to do i things. think it's the right way we are the jay and silent bob minute we're on doing com. we did clerks mall rats chasing amy working our way through dogma by the time we get to this maybe um that's it jim yeah well, uh, again, thanks, thanks to you two guys for, for doing this, you know, wrapping up our last 10 minutes of this movie. And thanks to the 17 uh, groups of Movies by Minutes uh, uh, hosts that came in and did the hard, hard work of going over this movie, uh, some sight unseen until they'd, they'd watch this film. Uh, I appreciate that all. We'll, we'll probably name off everybody here, but I, what I'd like to do is, is say uh, thank, thanks again for everybody doing this. Uh, we, I am planning on having another one next year, so, uh, so stay tuned. The big site that we have, moviesbyminutes.com, keeps expanding. We have almost 200 uh, different shows covering more, well more than 200 movies, and some people do entire series. So if you really want to get into if you like the way that we're doing this with the Movies by Minutes uh, format, you can go find probably your favorite movie is out there at moviesbyminutes.com. If it's not out there, why don't you join us? And you can – I mean, people get surprised that they can do these uh, podcasts, but once you get down the format, it's like – salted pretzels you want some more uh, <laughs> uh join us join us out there moviesbyminutes.com uh the facebook group is uh, listed in the top of the page of moviesbyminutes.com just click on that join our facebook group and uh we'd, we'd love to talk to you help you get through uh, making your favorite movie into a movies by minutes podcast uh, again thank you very much for listening to the show and if you've missed any part go back and listen to episode one and work your way through this again all right, I'm going to quickly run through everybody that I believe everybody that did it. The good thing Jim's here to stop me in case I miss somebody. <laughs> Starting from week one and working my way towards us, we had the Wilder Ride, the Rocketeer Minute, heard of those guys, uh, Indiana Jones Minute, Star Wars Minute, the Two Minute Terminator, the MASH Minute, Father David, of course, uh, Point Break Minute, uh, Ghibli Minute, uh, Apollo 13 Minute, Cock and Bull Minute, the Real Jaws Minute, Better Off Dead Minute, Bull Dora Minute, Five Minutes of Banzai, the Marine Corps Movie Minute, Deep Blue Sea Minute, and uh, Fools That Ended It All, the Jane Silent Bob Minute. Hooray! You got them all. That, that, that's perfect. Yeah. Plus, there was mul- many guests in there, many great guests in there. <laughs> yeah, I would like to thank uh, Catherine Weiler, the daughter of, uh, of William Weiler, for being on our show. Uh, she pointed out a bunch of things that we never even noticed. And also, we've, we found out while we were watching the movie with her that uh, her dad is in a, in a brief uh, cameo. So that was a, a, nice, a nice find in the middle of all this. All right, so you can check out the Best Minutes Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or over at thebestminutes.com. 
uh, go over to social media, Butch's, <laughs> Butch's Place, jeez Louise. <laughs> Just had to butcher it on the last one. Butch's Place, the best years of our lives, Listener's Cafe on Facebook and Twitter at the best minutes. Definitely go into the, uh, the Facebook because there's some good conversations in there. Uh, make sure you go over to Movies by Minutes. There's about 7,000 <laughs> Movies by Minutes. Um, if the one you see up there, you're like, hey, my favorite movie's not up there. Well, then do it yourself because that's what all of us did. We just were like, hey, I want to do it. And then we just did it. Um, there won't be another episode of the Best Minutes podcast, but I'm going to end with a quote from the movie. I had a dream. I dreamt I was home. I've had that same dream hundreds of times before. This time I wanted to find out if it's really true. Am I really home? Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.